0: This episode and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Give them a call, 708-330-4466. Visit them at familydry.com. They do everything when it comes to keeping your house dry and water moving away from it and not into it. Ed, I got an email from the White Sox today. Do tell. It's one of those surveys that drive me nuts because I, I want a survey from the White Sox that allows me to actually give opinions, just so I can pretend like they care about my opinion, right?
1: Right, they don't really, they don't really like your opinions or want your opinion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to begin with, given the success of the team to start the season, how do you expect the White Sox to do in 2021, Ed? Win the World Series, win the pennant, win the ALDS, only make the playoffs or not make the playoffs? What say you, my friend?
1: Well, World Series in the bag, my friend. <laughs> it's in the bag. It's on the bag. I Look, we're a it's contender. in the bag like a bunch of potato chips.
0: We finished off the first half of this regular season. I came up the stairs after watching the last game. My son was getting back from hanging out at his friend's house. He goes, what's with the goofy smile? And I was like, we're going to win the pennant this year. We might win the World Series. That's, I just told him that. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. I, I've been in, but now I'm really in. Like, I'm into the point now where I'm ready to have my heart broken. Like, I, I believe this team is a pennant winner that can win the World Series, and I never felt that about the 2018. I never felt that about any team that this team had since 2006 when I thought they could go back and do it again. And in 05, as a White Sox fan – who had been told his entire life that his team was never going to win the world series from his father and his grandfather and his uncles. And just the the fact that history said we were never going to win a world series. I didn't really start to buy into the possibility that he could win a world series until after they won their first playoff series against the Red Sox. I knew they were good. I knew they had a chance, but there was a lot more doubt. This is probably the earliest in any season that I can say with just my whole heart, this team has a chance to win a World Series and should win the pennant. They are an absolute 100% contender to do so. And what happens in the next couple of weeks, whether or not they add any talent with the return of Aloy Jimenez, which I think is a lot closer than a lot of us think, because the fact that he jumped from single A to triple A after only a couple of games. And I heard Tony LaRussa explain this, Ed, that there's a 20 day window. After he starts to play where they have to decide, are they going to bring him up? Because remember, he's on the 60 day IL. Right. So this could happen much sooner than 20 days. And that would be very exciting as well.
1: To to, to answer the question in all seriousness, I agree with you. I, they are contenders for the world series. They are definitely contenders to take the AL pennant. And, I, you know, I, I am excited and it would be heartbreaking for them to lose out in the playoffs. It would be astounding. I my jaw would hit the floor if they don't make the playoffs. But with Aloy Jimenez, I've been thinking about this. With Aloy, you know, he's hitting well. They moved him up to Charlotte. Uh, if he continues to hit well there, if he's not feeling any ill effects, why wouldn't you just bring him up? Well, you know, nobody says that he has to have weeks of at bats. I mean, this guy is a major league player. He's not a young guy that needs to be brought along. So if he's seeing the ball well and he's feeling good with his swing, I'm fine with him taking his hacks up here and figuring it out. I mean, I think yeah, there's going to be some rust anyway uh, because he hasn't seen major league pitching. But frankly, I'd rather just get him up here and see what he can do and, and have somebody accidentally groove a fastball to him and watch it you know fly out of a major league ballpark instead of seeing the highlights of it going out of Charlotte.
0: Well, I think it makes sense to have him in AAA here for about a week. I think i give him a week in AAA. I think i get him used to a couple of different pitchers. I think it, he's got to go up there and get used to that level of pitching. But if he comes up there and he does what he was doing down in single A, there's no reason to hold him down any much lo- any longer. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're already risking him by sending him out into the outfield. They're already sending him into the outfield in the minors, so he's clearly going to go patrol the outfield from Why? time to time in the majors. So every single time that he goes out in the outfield, there's a risk. So you might as well use it in an actual Major League Baseball game. I'm still against it. I still hate it. I understand those that hit us up on Twitter after the last episode and said, well, it's impossible that he would never go out in the field. Well, yeah, of course, he's probably going to have to go out there every once in a while. Sure. But I don't like him out there for the majority of time that he's out there. And I think that in a, a, a short season, see, Aloy Jimenez is playing the shortened season from last year. You, you picture it this way. The rest of the team played 162 games. Aloy's playing the 60-game schedule. Basically, yeah, a little more than that, but basically. And even in that 60-game schedule last year, he had injuries. And remember, he wasn't even able to to, to take the field for a full game at the very end against the A's. So please don't tell me, well, he he only needs to make it a couple of months. That's a long time for Aloy to make it without another injury. So I want it to be few and far between, and I want it protected because your team— has an incredible chance with the way that the pitching is going along and with the fact that even though they've dealt with injuries, they're going to get healthy before the postseason. This is the best chance this team has had to win a World Series since they won a World Series. And and before that, the best chance they've had to win a World Series since back in 94 when uh, the owners and, the, and some of the players took it away from you. This doesn't happen very often. They had a great chance of winning the World Series in 83. They had a great chance of winning the World Series in 94. They had a great chance of winning the World Series in 05 and did so. They had a great chance of making it back to the postseason and maybe winning a World Series in 06, and they didn't even make the postseason. And that's the last time. Those are all the times in my lifetime, 44 years on this earth. This does not happen very often. So you may have a big window and you may have years of, of good players on your team, but you never know when that injury rash is going to go through your your pitching instead of your hitting. When guys are going to lose it a little bit that are coming out there and are part of your rotation. You never know when you're going to have things going the way that they're going right now. And Tony's no spring chicken. And I thought he, I think he's been doing a great job managing this team. So this is your opportunity. That's why I'm very nervous about Aloy being used very much out in the field. All right, I will admit that you may have to put him out there every once in a while. But if you're going to be putting him out there in the minors, get him up here in the majors and at least make it count because every time he steps foot on the field, there is a risk. And to me, when you're going to do that, get the best results you possibly can out of it and pay attention to him over the next couple of months because you have to get him across that finish line. It made such a difference in that series against the A's when he was unable to go out there. If he could have played at his full ability in that series, they advance last year. 100%. I know it in the bottom of my heart. They advance if Aloya Menes is at 100% in that series. So he is going to make a difference for you. And if he's not ready, if he's not healthy, if he's not 100%, that may seriously impact your ability to win a World Series this year. So I get it. You might have to go out in the field. But if you're going to be playing him out in the field, once he's ready at, uh, at AAA level, once you're sure there's no reason to wait any longer, get him up here and get the results that you, you can get out of him, make them count. And again, use him sparingly, very sparingly out in the field.
1: Well, and the problem I had with some of the narrative with, with people hitting us up was, well, what happens when you catch Collins? What do you do with Grandal? And the answer very well could be, and I, I think this is something that I'm looking for in the second half, To start off with, because we're going to get a lot of Zach Collins. If Zach Collins is hitting well and catching well, then what do you do with Grandal? You might sit him in the playoffs if that's the case. If you're really going to go with this personal catcher bit, I'm not married to the idea that Yasmani Grandal has to be in the lineup over Zach Collins if Collins is hitting and playing well.
0: Yeah, but I don't like the personal catcher thing. Whatever. It's a long season. It's 162 games. As you get into September, these guys better be ready to start throwing a Yasmani Grandal. We can, you're going to tell me that in a seven game series, conceivably Yasmani Grandal is not behind the plate for three to four appearances in this in the series. You're going to tell me that Rodon and Giolito... Two guys that likely get two starts. At least one of them's getting two starts in a seven-game series, possibly two of them. You're gonna have Collins behind the plate four out of seven games over Yasmani Grandal. So this this personalized catcher stuff, this this has to end. And, and somebody's gotta find a way to get these guys used to having him behind the plate. Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E a 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. He was on last week to preview the draft. He's back this week, I would imagine, to say, see, I told you so. James Fox from Future Sox on the line with us right now. James, you said on this show a week ago that the White Sox would really like a Colson Montgomery out of Southridge High School. And you you were like, he might not make it to 22, but you never know what they're going to offer him in terms of money, if they can get him to kind of slide back. That was the guy they were coveting, and they got him at 22. How surprised were you?
2: So I wasn't that surprised. Um You know, like the night of the draft, because it kind of seemed like, okay, this actually might happen. Now, when I talked to you, I didn't really think it was going to happen. And honestly, like the White Sox didn't either, because I think we had talked about some other names. You know, Wes Cath, who they actually caught at 57. Uh, Max Muncie is another shortstop from California. Like, you know, they were talking about backup plans because they thought Colson Montgomery was going to be gone. Colson Montgomery really popped like late. You know, he did the draft combine. Um, you know, I, I, there were some rumors that he was going to go 10 to the Mets at an under-slot deal, but then, you know, Kumar Rocker fell. So the Mets decided to pay Kumar Rocker $6 million with the 10th overall pick. So, you know, the Colson Montgomery thing goes out the window. Um, there was some talk, maybe Reds or Cubs were on him, but you know, he fell to the White Sox. So that's good. I mean, he instantly becomes one of their top five prospects. Um, Mike Shirley just, you know, talks about the the premium power potential you know, with a left-handed bat, they think he's going to remain at shortstop. He's drawn some Corey Seager comps. It's a good pick. Any, I, I think I said any, if as long as they go prep, like I was good. I wanted a change in philosophy, and they did it. They went prep, prep to start. So you know, anything after that was pretty much gravy for me. I just think it's important to get younger going
0: forward. Yeah, it looks like what they were able to do is go get two guys when they thought they would probably only get one, and they got two of them over the first two rounds and they have that one side of their infield of the future, possibly. I mean, you don't want to jump on and say, well, that's it. I know in five years it's going to be Montgomery and Kath on that side of the infield when Tim Anderson's gotten older or whatever happens down the line. And that's another thing that I'm kind of curious what your take is. I'd like you to kind of explain to fans out there listening right now who hear we drafted a shortstop, what is the real timeline for this guy to be ready likely for the major leagues? Because, If T.A. plays for the White Sox and gets all of his options, he's 32-33 by the time this guy's probably ready. So it's not like, it's like, well, we don't believe in Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson's still a huge part of your team, but it's good to have these guys behind a guy like Tim Anderson for the eventual thing that happens to all baseball players, they get old and they move on, right? Yeah, you know, I think the best way to just describe it is, you know, everybody wants shortstops
2: so uh, you always draft shortstops and center fielders because shortstops and center fielders can play everywhere right like every, everybody was the shortstop on their their junior high team all these guys like they, they all played the best position and then you get to college so like you know there, there's a little bit of a stigma about taking high school and college second baseman because they have to because that means they can't play short so if you've already moved to second like that—that's not a good thing, right? So, like, a lot of these shortstops move to third, or they move to second, or they move to an outfield corner, or sometimes they move to center. So, yeah, I mean, you just—you want to take as many shortstops as possible, especially guys that can hit, because you can move them all over the place. You know, their second-round pick, West Cass, Desert Mountain High School in Arizona. The White Sox announced him as a third baseman. He played shortstop on his high school team in Arizona too, but he can really, really hit. So that. Really plays like scouting director Mike Shirley said that the, look and uh, baseball comps are insane, but he just kind of said like he saw Freddie Freeman in high school and you know it's kind of similar to what Freddie Freeman looked like there, but. This guy has drawn Matt Carpenter comps just for you know, he might be a first third corner player that can really hit at some point. But kinda of like you said, surely surely mentioned the same thing. Like they get to have Colson Montgomery and Wes Cass come up through the system together now. Those guys are probably gonna be level to level the next few years. I mean, they'll go to Arizona, they could end their season in Low canapolis this year and then they could either go back there next year and then together and that's your, your shortstop and your third baseman in the minors for uh, the, the immediate future it was a coup to get west Cass. where they did it was probably a little bonus pool manipulation i mean they had 1.2 million dollars to spend on the second round pick my guess is he's going to get around 2 million and they you know probably got him down to them so but i'm a big fan of the strategy you know I, I talked about it ahead of time wanting them to go prep prep and they actually did it
0: after those first two picks they go with two college players then in the fifth round they go after a prep pitcher Tanner McDougall, a right-handed pitcher out of Silverado High School. And then after that, it's just a bunch of fifth-year seniors, a bunch of guys that they don't have to spend a lot of money on, right? So is that the strategy? Did you talk to Shirley and get anything off of like being able to get McDougall? They had to basically go out and get guys that weren't going to cost them anything around McDougal so they could spend money on him in the fifth round, right? Yeah, so we talked
2: about this like a little bit last week. They have $6.6 million in their pool. That, that pool um, is for the top 10 rounds and then anything over 125 k in rounds 11 through 20. So basically what you do is, you know, like if you took a player in the seventh round and you don't sign him you lose the ability to like spend the money on whatever that slot is. So that's where like a lot of teams have shifted to this type of strategy. So like you said, you know, Sean Burke, the right-handed pitcher from Maryland, solid guy. I mean he's like, you know, top 75 prospect in the draft. He's a six foot six righty power starter from Maryland. I mean, that's a guy you'll hear about, he's going to be a top 30 prospect in their system. Um, but then Brooks Goswine is a lefty from Bradley and, you know, he's, he's probably 100000 Like, he's not a 10K guy. He's a real guy, but he talked about Tanner McDougal. Mike Shirley really, he raved about him and his spin characteristics, and they're really, like, looking at metrics and data for, like, some of these pitchers. Silverado High School, he, I mean, he's signing, clearly. Mike Shirley joked about how they really paid for it in the fifth round. I've heard he's probably going to get a yeah, million dollars, I would think, maybe even more than that.
0: Then basically, for Sox fans that are looking at this, the top two guys that got drafted, they're going to end up high up on our, on our list, I would imagine, the top 30 prospects, the one that you put out, the one that the MLB pipeline puts out. When people are looking at the system, they're going to end up high. The third round pick and the fifth round pick are probably the next two best players. And those four are probably the ones that you're focusing on and saying, these are the guys probably with the biggest upside that we would expect could do something later on for the team.
2: Though, yeah, those four. And then very interesting, like the the 15th rounder today is a kid by the name of Cameron Butler. He's an outfielder, big Valley Christian high school in California. This guy was, a bunch of publications have him listed as like a pop-up prospect, um, which means that like he popped late. I asked Mike Shirley about it on the conference call today, and he was very emphatic that he wasn't a pop-up guy for them. You know, their scout, Adam virtus that's the same guy, you know, who found uh, Marcus Simeon all those years ago. He was the signing scout for Andrew Vaughn in California. You know, they really like this guy. So this high school guy gets drafted in the 15th round, and the kid goes right on Twitter and he's talking about like joining the White Sox and stuff, which and it's very uncommon, like, you, cause he's got a, he's got a commitment to Cal Poly. Um, but it sounds like he's going to sign, you know, th- this might be, this is probably their fifth best player that they took. So, you know, Colson Montgomery and West cap in some order, Sean Burke, the righty from Maryland, they're the fifth round uh, Tanner McDougal, right-handed pitcher from Silverado high school. And then after that, it's, it's Cameron Butler, this 15th rounder, a lot of, a lot of upside with this guy. So it's, 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 you know, curious that they were able to do this again. They've done it a lot lately where they've added the preps on day three.
0: I looked at the, the first round draft picks for the White Sox that are currently on their team. Anderson, Rodon, Collins, Berger, Madrigal, if you count him, even though he's on the 60 day IL, but let's count him. Vaughn and crochet. That's insane. And then when I'm looking at the national coverage where they're, you know, not only ESPN, but also MLB network, they're doing a lot of coverage on the draft and they're talking to people about different teams' philosophies. One of the things that I kept hearing coming up was that the White Sox still do a lot of scouting where some teams have gotten away from that and just look at the numbers. They don't have as many actual guys going out and finding players. Have you noticed that when covering the team that the Sox have been very proactive in actually learning about guys and discovering guys where other teams might not be doing it? And is that one of the advantages where we're seeing all of these draft picks that are actually paying off for the team?
2: Yeah, 100%. It's one of the things that they do very well. I mean, look, I'm going to say a nice thing about Jerry Ryan's story. So, he, you know, he is he's very pro-scout. Like, you're never going to see a Jerry Reinfeld organization, like, wipe out all of the scouts and just, like, let computers run drafts. I don't know how much of the draft you watched. Kylie McDaniel's very good. He was on the ESPN broadcast, and he mentioned Colson Montgomery on the telecast and said, like, Colson is like, 19 and a half for anybody that's not aware. And, look, that's kind of old for a prep player. But... Look, if the player, if they think the player is awesome at 22, like, take the player at 22. But his point was that there's a lot of data teams who, you know, the computer would say 19 and a half. Nope, you can't take him. And then he's off the board because, like, the computer or whatever, like, technology you're using said so. Whereas, like, the White Sox are more of a traditional scouting team. No, I said they use data. Like they look at you know the RPMs on spin and stuff for pitching, and they let that inform decisions. But you know they still want eyes on players, and there's a lot of teams that do it similarly. But there's a lot of teams that don't. Like there, there's a lot of you know data teams right now, and it's basically just like a computer drafting inform, and it's 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 pretty insane. One other interesting thing, like Shirley said today on the conference call, he said that they really targeted players from Power Five conferences, and you know, it's not really something I noticed, but like Sean Burke in round three was a Maryland guy. You know, the guys yesterday, you know, there was an old miss guy in Arizona, Indiana. And then today, Texas Christian, NC State, Vandy, Clemson, Northwestern, TCU. So he just said kind of that those schools in Power Five they do it so well, and the kids are basically already developed for you. So those are the kind of kids that come into your system and they can go like right to A ball and hold their own. You know, even if even if it ends up being like minor league filler types where where they're not big leaguers, like those you know those are still guys that can help your minor
0: league teams. You know what? International signings, uh, good drafting. They're doing scouting. They're identifying uh, conferences that they like to draft from because they see how the guys come out. They clearly have a plan. I don't know how you can be disappointed in this draft that the White Sox had, and I don't know how you can be disappointed in the work that James Fox and Future Sox did on this thing, because you nailed it. You you knew who they were looking for in round one. They ended up getting the guy. You knew who the backup was for round one. They picked that guy in round two. You were all over it, James. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, telling everybody about the draft and getting us through this draft season. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Remember, as you head down to the ballpark, the place to go before and after every White Sox game you attend is Cork and Carry at the Park, 33rd in Princeton, the award-winning burgers, the incredible ballpark fair, the full bar, all of the different brews that are on tap. They've got some great craft brews that I've never seen anywhere else except for when I walk in to Cork and Carry at the Park. They are a Southside tradition, and you can book their place for your home viewing parties, when they are on the road, the white Sox can be enjoyed from Cork and Carry at the park as well. I'm going to tell you the food. The burgers, Ed, are really the thing that I go for. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And every time you go, you could try something else that's new. You know, the 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 blue cheese burger with the crumbles, the bacon, the tomato, the pepper mayo. That's a great one right there. You like the Southside Irish, right? With the the bacon on it. It's Irish bacon, Dublin or
1: cheese, coleslaw and an egg on top of a burger. It's like breakfast for any time of the year, any time of day. In my (laughs) dreams, I dream about that burger.
0: Breakfast in your dreams. That's perfect. That right there is a reason to go to Cork and Carry at the Park for breakfast in your dreams, get over there and enjoy the summer with them indoor and outdoor seating. Once again, 33rd and Princeton, or visit them today to learn more at corkandcarryatthepark.com. All right. So I got to ask you this, and I'm not going back to that that survey, because right after we answer those first few questions, the next page was how important it is that I, I feel a, a part of the White Sox family, which I don't. Yeah, well. <laughs> so it's not important to me, right? I don't it's not important to me it's fine okay and and how important is it that i know every personal aspect about yeah. a player eh, i'm not really concerned and now it's now it's asking me if i've ever heard of jose abreu so at this point we've gotten to the idiot portion of the survey
1: what color are the white socks socks
0: let's let's talk about the important stuff let's talk about the upcoming schedule here let's talk about the second half is there somebody you're watching more than anybody else in the second half to see whether or not they can maintain what they've done, to see if they can improve
1: on what they've done. There's there's two players, and a position group that I'm really watching, and one of them we kind of touched on already in in Zach Collins because I do think that there's concern about Yasmani Grandali. He's had a couple of leg injuries this year, and you know I, I I want him back healthy, and I think if he's back healthy and in the lineup, come playoff time. You're right. You do have to use him a lot more than you do use Collins, but I do think that there's a chance that Collins is going to have to play a key role. Not necessarily as a personal catcher for somebody, but I think he's going to play games. And if he establishes himself as being a guy that can really hit righties well in the second half of the year here, where, where he's basically platooning with, unfortunately, Sebi Zavala for right now, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be an important thing to watch. I'm also watching Andrew Vaughn. Because I think Vaughn is a huge key to what happens to this team. We saw him take some more strides. He had that wonderful two-home run game against the Orioles, but I know you can sit there and go, well, Orioles, what are you gonna do? Uh, but nobody else is hitting out, you know, a couple of home runs in the game and and, you know, giving them an opportunity to win. So I'm watching Vaughn because I think if Vaughn does find a next step, if he isn't just what he was at A-ball a couple of years ago, where he was hitting 252, he had a decent OPS, and that's kind of what he's. You know, his expected batting average and stuff right now are around there. Uh, you know, if he if he finds another gear and the talent really starts to shine through, I think he makes a gigantic difference in this lineup along with Aloy Jimenez because that, that's, you know, that's a guy that's going to anchor potentially the bottom of the lineup. He could be up towards the top. You can move him around. Uh, you know, and frankly, he may just be the right fielder going forward and not just for the rest of this year, but down the road. Vaughn took to the outfield pretty well. He can always be a guy that's subbed out defensively. You could sub out Aloy defensively if he happens to be in left. But, you know, there is going to be – Vaughn should be in the outfield every day, and I want to see that. And then the position group that I'm watching the most is the pitching, just because – and I think that's going to be pretty universal. Guys are getting past innings that they've had before. You know, they're basically where they were, a little past where they were at the shortened season. And I want to see how much everybody's got left in the tank. And, you know, in particular – a guy like Rodon, who is way past where he's been in the past, I want to see what he's got, you know, going forward and how they manage him, you know, and how they manage these guys to get to the end, to get to the finish line, and have them ready for the playoffs.
0: And I think I want to echo that the pitching is going to be one of the biggest storylines, and really how the White Sox use the pitching. Like, I first I'm looking at Dylan Cease, and I'm wondering, is he going to continue to improve, or the improvements basically because When he plays bad opponents, he does better. You know, like I I got in this conversation with my father, who's convinced that the more valuable of the two of them, and this is what he told me, he's like, Giolito, he is what he is. I don't think he's going to ever be anything better than that, is what he's trying to tell me. And he's like, you know, he's a two or a three starter on a World Series championship team, and that's fine. That's kind of how he sees him. I know a lot of people would disagree with that, that, but that's how the old man sees it. He sees Cease surpassing him one day. He thinks that that possibility exists. He sees something in watching Dylan Cease and the way he pitches the ball and the way that things are developing for him that he's going to improve. So I'm very curious as to how Dylan Cease uh, and his second half goes. That That is very interesting to me. The other thing, though, is the usage of pitching. I, I really think that the White Sox are going to have to have Michael Kopech start games in the second half because they're going to have to give time off and rest some arms of guys, especially Cease and Rodon, who have not done this, these very long seasons, in a long time or ever. And you're going to have to watch over them, and that's something you're going to have to, you need them for the postseason. And, you are you know, Kopech doesn't have a ton of innings yet on this arm. So they've done very well to get to this point. But I fall back on the idea that at the beginning of the season, we thought Michael Kopech would eventually end up in a starter's role I think Michael Kopech is going to start some games, and I think you're going to have to skip some starts, and you're also going to have to look down at a guy like Jimmy Lambert, who down in Charlotte has done well this year, and he's going to come up and spot start a few times for you, especially with this lead that you have. You are not going to run those guys out one, two, three, four, five, and rotate it constantly through the second half. I don't think you should do that because I think you could run into problems right when you need them at the very end of the season and going into the postseason. So I think that's a big storyline to watch because I think if you burden these, these starters with all of those innings in the second half, especially with the lead that you currently have in the division, you're not using your resources in the best possible way. The other thing that I'm looking at, and it's a specific guy that I'm really watching, and that's Adam Engel. Adam Engel is the most underrated oh, White Sox player on the team, in my opinion. But he is a ball player. He is an absolute ball player. We, I've been laughed at by people who have, who have you know, called in or sent me tweets or commented on shows saying that they can't believe how much I love Adam Engel. Well, look, on, on any other team in baseball, Adam Engel's starting every day. You've got a guy who can play all three positions of the outfield, can go for power, has speed, and plays gold glove defense. And I think Adam Engel in the second half, if healthy, is a major contributor to this team.
1: Engel, I think in particular, is a guy that Sox fans have undervalued largely, and I I do agree with you on that one. And I really, I went back to when there was scoffing last year, uh, you know, or two years ago, was it, when Mike Clevenger was going to be traded from the Indians to the Padres. And the Indians were in discussion with the White Sox allegedly about Adam Engel being one of those guys. And people are like, why, why? Why would they take Engel? And the reason is, is, is well, look at the Indians right now. Do you think that Adam Engel would be their starting center fielder? Every day starter is what every be. day. So you are you were really walking into this season before Eloy got hurt and before Robert got hurt. You were walking in with the best four outfielders, you know, as a group on paper. In the majors now, we had two guys get hurt, and then Adam Eaton. It turns out was bad. He's he's probably done. It was bad, right? He's just bad. He's he he may, his career may be over, frankly. But now you throw Andrew Vaughn in there, and you've got Vaughn, Engel, Alloy, and Robert. In theory, you know, I know the Sox are going to put Alloy in left, and I don't like it either. But you've got those guys, and Engel should be playing every day. And Vaughn should be playing every day, and Robert should be playing every day, which is why I want Aloya Menes as a DH. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement.
0: In the basement. Heard everywhere podcast can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.